Well, Jake Tapper in Washington, where the State of Our Union is thankful, thankful that American service members on a dangerous overnight raid in Syria are safe and thankful that the world's most dangerous terrorist is dead. Last night, the United States brought the world's number one terrorist leader to justice. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi is dead. He died like a dog. He died like a coward. The world is now a much safer place. In often vivid terms, the president confirmed in a morning White House address that U.S. special operators, including Delta Force, carried out a high-wire raid in northwest Syria, ultimately cornering al-Baghdadi. He died after running into a dead-end tunnel, whimpering and crying and screaming all the way. He had dragged three of his young children with him. They were led to certain death. He reached the end of the tunnel as our dogs chased him down. He ignited his vest, killing himself and the three children. His body was mutilated by the blast. The president said a lab technician on the raid team proved it was al-Baghdadi and that DNA test results were immediate and totally positive. The raid produced important intelligence, the president said, including plans for future ISIS operations. We have a lot of news to get to this morning, including the explosive testimony from top diplomat Ambassador Bill Taylor detailing the president's alleged demand for a quid pro quo with Ukraine. But ahead of the president's remarks this morning, I spoke with Defense Secretary Mark Esper about the raid. Let's start with the president's announcement. What what can you tell us about the raid? Was this an operation conducted specifically to target Baghdadi? Sure. Well, let me say, first of all, this is a great day for America. This is a great day for the world. The president made a very decisive action, and our troops and our interagency partners uh, executed it brilliantly. So, as you know, we defeated the physical caliphate earlier this year, and now the leader is dead. And so, again, that's great news, and I want to commend all that participated in the operation. I will tell you this, that the operation was conducted last night. Uh, The president approved a raid onto the target. Uh, The aim was to capture uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, and if we couldn't capture him, uh, then, of course, we were going to kill him. And uh, like I said, the raid was successful. Uh, We pulled our troops out. We had two minor casualties, two minor injuries to uh, our soldiers, but a very successful, flawless raid. When you say minor injuries, they will recover from those injuries? They've already been returned to duty. Okay, that's great. And and, um, so the president knew about the operation ahead of time. He approved the operation. The president was taking options earlier this week. He reviewed them, asked some great questions, uh, chose the option that we thought uh, gave us the highest probability of success and confirmation that the head of ISIS would be there and either captured or killed, and, uh, and then we executed from there. Was there a lot of deliberation? Yes, I think in all these things, uh, there's deliberation. The president had, to, had the opportunity to hear and speak with uh, the commander of Central Command. He had a chance to hear from me. He had a chance to talk with General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And again, that decision was made uh, uh, late last week. Could this operation have been done without U.S. troops on the ground in Syria already? Uh, that's speculative. I don't know. That's, I'd have to consult with our commanders about that. You know, we have tremendous reach and capability. Uh, the, the people, the so- service members who executed this attack are the best in the world. And uh, there's nothing beyond our capability. The administration has been taking a lot of heat for the, for the handling of the U.S. Uh, Kurdish allies in northern Syria. Did the Kurds play a role in this operation? 
I'm not going to discuss uh, who all participated, but we had some help some, some from outside partners. Um, but the U.S. allies, the main U.S. allies in that region are the Kurds. That's right. I'm just not going to get into details right now. Okay. The, the general uh, of, the, of the Kurdish forces, uh, the U.S. allied Kurdish forces, say that they did play a role. Is that- the SDF have been good partners for the last few years. Uh, they were instrumental to us helping defeat, destroy the physical caliphate of ISIS. And again, we remain in contact with them on the ground, and they've been helpful in a variety of ways. What does this mean for the troops that have been sent into the region uh, to help uh, protect the troops that are helping to protect the oil fields in Syria? Well, the... the, the, the Two are separate but related, related in the sense that both signify, again, our commitment to the enduring defeat of ISIS. The, uh, the troops now that are denying ISIS access to those oil fields, they're doing so because we want to make sure that ISIS cannot generate the revenue that would allow them to buy weapons, that would atta- allow them to attack our, our partners and allies in Europe or come back to the homeland. And uh, that's our commitment, and that's why we are reinforcing some of our positions in uh, the southern part of northern Syria. Did the withdrawal of U.S. forces from the Turkish-Syria border um, accelerate the timetable uh, on this mission in any way? No, I, I don't think so. Look, the, the, the withdrawal was prompted by the fact that President Erdogan of Turkey made a decision that he was going to attack regardless and uh, seize a safe zone, if you will, between Turkey and Syria. Uh, if, uh, and we were opposed to that vehemently and uh, protested as much. And uh, our concern was that Turkey's actions, as unwarranted as they were, would cause us, them, others to lose focus on the defeat ISIS mission. That's the, that's the reason why we went in, and that's the reason why we're still there. And we, uh, last week I spent in the region uh, talking to many of our allies, and I spent time in Brussels with our NATO allies and uh, reiterated to them that our commitment to the enduring defeat of ISIS. And uh, obviously this is a huge blow to ISIS to have their leader, right. uh, al-Baghdadi, uh, killed. Is there now concern... Uh, that ISIS might lash out, that they might try to stage some sort of terrorist attack as a way of showing to the world, hey, we're still here. Well, you prepare for everything, but you're right. This is a devastating blow. This is not just their leader. It's their founder. He was an inspirational leader in many ways. He's the one that uh, when he he formed ISIS in 2014, he led to uh, establishing the physical caliphate uh, throughout the region. So this is a major blow to them. And uh, we're going to watch carefully next steps. And as a new leader and leaders pop up, we'll go after them as well. Uh, as you noted, uh, the physical caliphate has, has largely uh, disappeared as the U.S. and the Kurds have, have beaten it back. Um, but obviously there are still uh, thousands, if not tens of thousands, of ISIS terrorists that, that remain. Uh, what is the status of ISIS right now? You know, like uh, as we've been saying for some time now, we want to ensure the enduring defeat. That means we have to continually monitor the situation, make sure as we see groups pop up or coalesce, or, or establish a training camp that we go in and take them out. That's the way that you ensure that they're no longer a threat to the United States and to our allies and partners. Well, the president has said they're defeated, but they're not fully defeated. Well, it's a physical caliphate, and defeat, you know, it's hard to defeat an ideology. So what we're going to have to do is stay on top of this. Uh, we're going to have to make sure we have the capability to go in and, again, destroy uh, targets as they arise. When are all U.S. troops going to leave Syria, as President Trump has said he wants to do, but obviously a lot of military uh, officials have said they do not want to do. They think it would be a, a mistake. Well, President Trump's directive was that we leave northern Syria, northeastern Syria, that part specifically where that uh, the safe zone is being set up uh, by the Turks. Uh, we're halfway through that process, if you will. It will take weeks, not days. But at the same time, the president said we would keep a presence in southern uh, Syria at Antanth. And uh, recently, uh, we got the direction that we would uh, maintain a presence in the area of uh, Dar ar-Zawa in order, again, to deny, deny ISIS and other destabilizing actors down there 
access to the oil fields. One other thing I want to ask is, is I want to follow up on something you said that you have said before, which is that uh, President Erdogan of Turkey had said that he was going to go into right. this area. And that's why the U.S. pulled out, even though you and others had vehemently opposed him doing that. It just seems odd that a NATO ally and a weaker country, although Turkey obviously has a very large military, uh, would be able to, for want of a better term, push the U.S. around. I mean, push, push us out of the region. I would think that the U.S. would say, we're staying, and, you're be- and I know you don't want to attack U.S. forces. How do you uh, make the argument that this wasn't the U.S. retreating? Yeah, I think that's an overstatement. I mean, we've known since the original partnership between the United States and SDF that uh, Turkey that's protested. The cur- the that's right. That Turkey protested this. They view that many in the SDF are terrorists that are members of the PKK. And um, uh, they also had two or three incursions over the past two or three years. So as I came into office about three months ago, this is probably the top foreign policy issue that was on my plate. Constantly working with the Turks to establish a safe zone to address their legitimate security needs and to try and walk them back from conducting this incursion. But, you know, due to domestic politics, security concerns, any number of factors, it became very clear to me and other members of the national security team that the Turks were going to do this regardless. And I thought it would have been uh, irresponsible, as did the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, to leave our soldiers, numbering less than 50, in between a a Turkish army of 15,000 plus and uh, their, their route of attack. Uh, one last thing, sir, and that is you've talked about uh, the credit that should go to the, the military operators, the special operators who conducted this raid. And thankfully, uh, there were no serious injuries. Right. Um, and obviously, it was a successful raid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've also given credit to President Trump for his decisive decision, right. this decisive action on making this. I just want to show you this, this tweet from 2012. You had nothing to do with this tweet, just for the record. But President Trump, when he was citizen Trump, said, stop congratulating Obama for killing bin Laden. The Navy SEALs killed bin Laden. So I guess just the question I have is, do commanders in chief deserve credit for the actions of our brave men and women uh, in in service, in uniform? Look, I'm not going to get involved in in the political issues here. Clearly, the, the credit first and foremost goes to our service members and to the interagency partners that helped execute this. And in this case, again, the president made a tough decision and, uh, and gave the order to go. And at the end of the day, he bears responsibility for its success or failure, as do I, as does the entire chain of command. I would agree with that. And I would agree that that also held true in 2012. Secretary Esper, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate Thanks, it. Jake. Don't be a stranger. <laughs> Will do. Coming up next, did new testimony in the impeachment inquiry change the calculus on Capitol Hill this week? A key Democratic senator will join me next. Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper, turning now to the impeachment inquiry and key testimony this week that may have changed the political calculus for Republicans, according to GOP Hill sources. Bill Taylor, the top U.S. diplomat in Ukraine, said he was told that everything the Ukrainian president wanted, including vital military aid, would be held up until he announced, the Ukrainian president, an investigation that would help President Trump politically. And more critical testimony this week could back up that claim of a quid pro quo. Joining me now, Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut. He is a member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Senator, uh, thanks so much. I want to start with the big news this, this morning. You've been a vocal critic of President Trump's policies in Syria and the Middle East. Um, But this is obviously a a big success for the U.S. What is your reaction uh, to the death of ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi? 
It's big news. It's important news. Uh, it accrues to the benefit of U.S. national security. Uh, and I congratulate uh, the entire team uh, that made this possible. Uh, ultimately, taking out a leader of this kind of consequence is going to be a blow to uh, ISIS and a reminder that there's no shelter from the American military if you try to plot attacks against us or our friends. Uh, and it shows just how capable and professional our military is, uh, notwithstanding the disagreements that they've had with the president over Syria policy. And if, uh, in fact, some reports are true that the SDF may have contributed intelligence to this operation, it also shows um, how incredible our Kurdish partners continue to be, uh, even though the president uh, double-crossed them in Syria. Now, of course, uh, this is all um, balanced by the fact that over the past several weeks, uh, over 100 ISIS fighters have escaped detainment. And so, well, there's no doubt that it's good that al-Baghdadi is gone from the world, uh, the overall downside to the United States may be greater because we now have potentially uh, over 100, if not more, ISIS fighters, many of them probably very dangerous, uh, reconstituting themselves. So uh, good news, but the overall sum of the actions that have happened in Syria over the course of the last couple weeks uh, are not good news for the United States. You commended the entire team responsible for the death of uh, al-Baghdadi. I assume that also includes President Trump, who, who gave the uh the final order and authorized uh, the raid? We'll learn more about the details of this raid, but if it looks as successful as early reports are, um, you know, I think you have to um, you, you, you have to give credit to everyone who was part of this decision-making uh, uh, operation. Including President Trump? Including President Trump. All right. Let's turn to Ambassador Bill Taylor's testimony in the impeachment inquiry. He, he described a meeting uh, that he had last month in Ukraine with you uh, as well as the chair of the Senate Homeland Security Committee, Senator Ron Johnson, and Ukrainian President Zelensky. T Taylor told Congress that, quote, my recollection of the meeting is that both senators stressed that bipartisan support for Ukraine in Washington was Ukraine's most important strategic asset, and that President Zelensky should not jeopardize that bipartisan support by getting drawn into U.S. domestic politics, unquote. Does that square with your recollection of that meeting? And if so, why do you think it was important to warn Zelensky about being drawn into U.S. domestic politics. Why did you make a point of saying that? Well, that's an accurate representation of the meeting. Um, listen, part of the reason that I chose to go to Ukraine in early September was that I had uh, heard through multiple sources how uncomfortable uh, the new Ukrainian administration was with these uh, demands that they were uh, being uh, that they were being presented with by Rudy Giuliani uh, and others representing themselves to be acting on behalf of Donald Trump and the United States government. Uh, and I thought it was really important to be there. There with President Zelensky, who's a total political novice, to tell him uh, that he should not get dragged into American politics, that if he's doing business with the United States, he should be doing business with the State Department, not with the president's political fixers. Uh, and he understood that. Uh, he gave us a, a, a very positive response, told us that he had no interest in getting dragged into American politics. Um, but I was there before we knew the full scope of this corruption. Uh, I was there before we knew that there was a uh, 
um, clearly uh, a um, communication sent to President Zelensky and his team that they needed uh, to investigate the Bidens and the Clintons through uh, the relitigation of the 2016 uh, election if they were going to get a meeting with President Trump. And now, as we know, if they were going to get aid released. Uh, and so I'm very glad that I made the case to President Zelensky that he should stay out of American politics. But at the time, I frankly didn't know how bad this was. And you've said that the entire new Ukrainian administration was worried that the aid was being cut off as, quote, a consequence for their unwillingness at the time to investigate the Bidens, unquote. Did Zelensky or anyone else in Zelensky's circle specifically mention the Bidens in that meeting and the demand that they investigate the Bidens? Well, they did not specifically mention it to us. Uh, of course, it was publicly reported that uh, Rudy Giuliani was going to Zelensky and asking him to investigate the Bidens. This was uh, an open secret. And so I was raising that issue with Zelensky. I, I told him that it would not be good for Ukraine uh, if they got dragged into American politics. And he uh, agreed with me. Um, but, you know, I, listen, I think the testimony now is, is very clear that there was a quid pro quo. But from, very, from the very beginning, I, I, I don't believe that you needed to prove a quid pro quo in order for this to be totally corrupt and potentially impeachable. The president of the United States cannot demand that a foreign country interfere in American politics, try to help his reelection effort, um, no matter whether he is holding back aid or a meeting in the White House. You can't do that as the most powerful person on the earth. Uh, and uh, I think it makes it even worse that we now know that he was clearly trading away access to the White House and likely uh, security aid to Ukraine. Uh, President Trump obviously is arguing out there that the impeachment isn't legitimate. And uh, one of the reasons for that, in his view, is because the Ukrainians are publicly saying that they didn't feel any pressure at all. You are saying that's not true. They felt pressure. They felt pressure. No doubt they felt pressure. Of course they would feel pressure. Uh, and uh, of course Zelensky is going to uh, try to put the best spin on this that he can because he is still in a dependent relationship with the United States. Uh, Ukraine cannot survive the military assault that continues to this day from the Russians without American um, military aid. They can't survive without our support to keep IMF loans flowing to Ukraine. So, of course, he is going to say that, you know, he didn't and doesn't feel any pressure, that there was no blackmail, because he's got to make sure that Trump continues uh, to support his country. But there is absolutely no doubt uh, that the Ukrainians felt pressure uh, to do what Giuliani was asking. And it stands to reason that they would, uh, because any time that your patron is telling you that you need to uh, investigate uh, political rivals in order to get aid or in order to get a meeting, Meeting, um, you are going to feel very uncomfortable being put in that position. You wrote an op-ed recently asserting that President Trump's request for a probe into Burisma, that's the Ukrainian firm that Hunter Biden worked for, is, quote, just the tip of the iceberg, unquote. You write that, quote, Trump has abandoned Ukraine to Russia. It's a missing piece of the impeachment debate. But how does that square with the fact that the military aid ultimately uh, in September was released and uh, that was something that President Obama did not provide to the Ukrainians lethal aid. So the aid was only released once President Trump got caught. 
Uh, now, it's still unclear as to exactly what triggered the aid moving forward, but it looks like the aid was released right around the time that the whistleblower came forward and the White House was uh, under the understanding that this was all about to become public. Um, but the very fact that Trump was withholding the aid right at the beginning of Zelensky's administration, right as Zelensky was trying to make overtures to Russia uh, to try to engage in political talks, weakened the Ukrainian administration. Administration uh, and Trump's uh, continued uh, refusal to really admit the scope of Russia's interference in 2016 and his refusal to do anything about it has also weakened Ukraine because Russia is doing the same thing there. So in in so many different ways, uh, this president has shown a lack of commitment to Ukraine, a lack of willingness to stand up to Russia, uh, and that ultimately hurts Ukraine. That ultimately uh, weakens this new reform-minded president. Uh, and simply dragging Ukraine into American politics um, is a distraction for a country that right now needs to be focusing all its energies on trying to protect uh, its uh, eastern border from Russian incursion. Your fellow Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren from uh, Massachusetts, she's running for president, obviously. She says that she has already seen enough evidence to convict President Trump in the Senate should impeachment go to the Senate uh, for a vote on removal. Uh, have you? So I think the behavior that has been proven thus far uh, looks impeachable to me. But of course, it depends on what the actual articles of impeachment are that are sent to the Senate. So I don't think I can say how I would vote because I ultimately can only vote on what the House sends us. Um, but I absolutely think that a president who has traded away the credibility of the United States in order to get a foreign country to destroy his political rivals has engaged in conduct that is worthy of impeachment. Uh, Ultimately, we can only vote on what is sent to us by the House, so I can't um, you know, declare what my vote will be. Um, but I don't know why you have uh, the power of impeachment if it's not to hold accountable a president of the United States who has fundamentally corrupted the powers of his office to try to benefit himself politically. Senator Chris Murphy, Democrat of Connecticut, thank you so much for your time this morning. We appreciate it, sir. Thanks, Jake. Next, this morning, President Trump said ISIS is 100 percent defeated. Is that true? And the president's assertion that there was no quid pro quo gets undercut by witness after witness in the impeachment inquiry. What to expect in the coming days of testimony? Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. Reaction coming now from President Trump's morning announcement that ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi is dead after a U.S. raid overnight in Syria. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell calling the raid a, quote, significant step, but warning that the fight against ISIS, quote, will not end with this significant victory. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi tweeting this. The death of al-Baghdadi is significant, but it does not mean the death of ISIS. Donald Trump must present the American people with a clear strategy to confront ISIS. Let's discuss this with our experts. We have former FBI Deputy Director and CNN contributor Andrew McCabe and former Pentagon Press Secretary and CNN military analyst Admiral John Kirby. Admiral Kirby, let me start with you. I think that there is almost a, uh, a belief that after there is a successful military raid that I think, oh, of course, of course he did that raid and it was successful, whether it's the OBL raid, which was 
arguably more complicated than this one, or this one, right. um, which still, but like, it's a tough decision for any president, no matter what. Very tough. And we should not take for granted that this success is just going to be inevitable. I mean, obviously, very well done, very well executed, but there's high risk here when you're putting troops on the ground, going after a target as dangerous as al-Baghdadi. So I think the president des- deserves enormous credit for making this very difficult call because he was literally putting men in harm's way, and he might have found himself writing letters of condolences today. Obviously, that's not going to happen, thank goodness. But big decision, very, very risky. So when you were at the FBI, counterterrorism was a big part of your focus. Absolutely. And obviously, uh, too many ISIS-inspired attacks in the United States, Mm -hmm. uh, in California, in Florida, in New York. What does this mean to you as somebody who spent so much of your career trying to stop terrorism in the United States? What does it mean to you, the death of al-Baghdadi? Well, first of all, it's a huge victory. Uh, And it's a great tribute to the men and women who fight this battle, who fight terrorism every day across the intelligence and law enforcement communities. Uh, But it by no means means that that fight is over. Uh, You know, we know that ISIS raised... Uh, propaganda and communications and use of the internet and use of encrypted communications to a new level. They used figures like Baghdadi to add to their recruitment efforts to create this uh, myth around what was essentially a violent death cult uh, in Syria, and that drew tens of thousands of people uh, to support them across the globe. Those folks are still out there, whether they're here in the United States tracking ISIS through social media and other, other means, or they're across Europe or still in the Middle East. Those are the folks that we have to worry about in terms of protecting the homeland. And there will be a reaction to this strike. That's we just right. don't know what it will be, and we need to be prepared for the fact that the, the ISIS leaders remaining uh, in their vibe for power and in their retribution here for this strike might actually ant- might escalate their planning and their conducting of attacks. Well, that's one of the things I wanted to ask about. The president painted a very graphic, vivid picture of al-Baghdadi uh, crying, whining, grabbing three children of his three of his children running down a, a tunnel. I don't begrudge any president trying to make it clear to the world that a terrorist leader is a coward. Um, But I do wonder, might that be used against the United States as well? Might that kind of humiliation, and again, he's a horrible person. I'm glad he's dead. I don't want there to be any any misunderstanding. But might that language be used in a way to recruit ISIS uh, people, terrorists? There's no question it will be. And I can tell you this, that in the FBI today, uh, many, many, many folks are focused on those targets we have here in the United States and that we know about in other places. They're very concerned about acting out because of the death of Baghdadi. How many folks will be inspired by or provoked by this action and feel like it's their, uh, it's their job, it's their duty to go out and strike out in any way they can just to prove to the world that ISIS is in fact not dead. They are still a threat and they're still dedicated to attacking us. Um, so that that work is going on today. Um, you know, it's it is to some degree likely charged uh, emotionally charged by the release of those sorts of graphic details, references to using canines, things like that. Are, mm-hmm. We know are um, particularly meaningful to that volatile population. So a, a, a speech was written for the president. He read from it. Uh, and I think there are a lot of like a couple of Republicans on this panel this morning have said They wish the president had just read the speech and then stopped because he went on to say other things. Uh, For instance, uh, acting as if the death of Baghdadi was a much bigger deal than the death of bin Laden. I mean, they're both dead. They're both horrible terrorists. This isn't a competition with President Obama. Uh, Acting as if he would have uh, 
prevented 9-11 even possibly because of this myth that he was warning about bin Laden uh, long before 9-11 and on and on. Uh, things that undercut him. Attacking the intelligence community, the president did, again, through insinuation. What did you make of all that? Yeah, I was disappointed to see that he went on and took and took questions. I know that may sound f- funny coming from a, a spokesman, but I think I would have just left it at the statement, uh, uh, which was... Uh, detailed in grisly nature uh, and then just walked away rather than get into the Q&A because he got dragged into a lot of tactical details and intelligence sensitive material that I think just pushed him a little too close to the edge here in terms of your ability to now keep going after ISIS because he even noted there's, there's going to be a vie for leadership here and we got those guys in our sights. You, you, you don't want to give them any more information than they need to. And then on the, on the, on the comparisons with Obama, I think that was just going to be inevitable, Jake. There was no way he wasn't going to try to compare this to the uh, Osama bin Laden and President Obama's leadership. Um, and look, I mean, uh, you could argue about which one's more important. This is an important get, and he should be sure. proud of it. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it doesn't mean the end, end of the fight against ISIS. And you don't want to say anything in these early hours that's, that's going to make that fight harder. Were you worried at all? He did seem to give a lot of operational details about what they knew, what they didn't know. Uh, uh, and, you know, considering the Kurds have said uh, that they, this has been a five-month-long operation, and President Trump said it's a two-week-long operation. Obviously, a lot of intelligence there. Uh, were you concerned that he was giving too much information up? Well, you know, that's always the concern, uh, particularly any time this president uh, takes the microphone. Um, I agree. Huge victory. Absolutely, he bears the. He gets credit for having to made this tough decision. It would have been very easy to go out and put out just enough detail, mm-hmm. really, you know, kind of enjoy, bask in the glory of a successful operation, Um, So it was unfortunate that he felt like he had to go further into those details. Um, I can tell you from having been around operations like this and had the the privilege of working around these folks for many years, this was essentially a five-year operation. That is how long we have been looking for Baghdadi. That's how long we've been fighting ISIS in Syria. That's how long we've been dealing with the threats from ISIS here in the homeland and other places. Um, The intelligence that would have been necessary to make this a success is unbelievably hard to acquire. It's intricate. It is fragile and sensitive. And I'm sure there was a much longer uh, focus than two weeks that went into putting this thing together. And hats off to the folks that uh, enabled it. I'm into that. McCabe, Kirby, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Coming up next, the impeachment inquiry. Another big week of testimony coming up. And he was part of a band of brothers in Vietnam. And now he's the key witness in the case against President Trump. Stay with us. Do don't don't hire a yes man, someone that's going to tell you, uh, or it won't tell you the truth. Don't do that, because if you do, I believe you'll be impeached. That is former White House Chief of Staff John Kelly seeming to criticize his replacement Mick Mulvaney for not saving President Trump from himself. Uh, let's discuss uh, with our panel, um, Congressman uh, Waltz. Uh, let me uh, start with you. Uh, There you have Kelly um, saying basically that Mick Mulvaney is a yes man, and that's why Trump is being impeached, because Mick Mulvaney wasn't able to um, serve as a guardrail. What do you think? I really don't have a lot to say about it. I I respect the general and I respect Mick. And if they have difference of opinion on on how to serve the president, you know, uh, I'll leave that to them. What do you think, Bill? I think he is going to be impeached. So I think empirically, General Kelly is correct. Whether even if Kelly were still there, he could have stopped Trump from doing things. He didn't stop Trump from doing 
as many things as he would have liked to have stopped him from doing even while he was chief of staff. But I would say this, I think, with the broader point, Kelly, Mattis, McGahn, there were a lot of people in the first couple of years who did st- Trump had a lot of ideas that I would say would lead him to do things that are impeachable that got stopped. Firing Mueller, and we know a ton of them, right? Those people are all gone. So in that broader sense, I think General Kelly is right, that we now have a Trump unfettered in a way we didn't uh, a couple of years ago. And the phone call, I'm not sure the phone call on July, whatever it's With the president of Ukraine. Yeah, I'm not sure that happens in a, in a White House with a more, without McMaster's national security advisor and uh, Kelly as chief of staff. So just to be very clear about the train of events here, though, Mick Mulvaney does seem to be the person who executed Trump's command to stop the payments. He's a former right. OMB chair, he's chief. He's the chief of staff. There is reporting that he is the person who right. implemented Trump's plan by doing the quit of the pro which is stopping the yes. stopping the uh, the Ukrainian payments for many months and the military as, aid. The military aid, and as Taylor said, he went to the front line and saw the soldiers without our aid, and it was an issue for him. So I think this is what Kelly is actually getting at. It's not particularly clear, but the real issue here is the chief of staff aiding the quid pro quo instead of stopping. Nick Mulvaney, as head of OMB, has put a kibosh on foreign aid, which I actually opposed and wrote a letter opposing. A 30 percent cut in the State Department's budget uh, is something that they've been clear on from from the get go. I mean, not to mention the Northern Triangle, not to mention Afghanistan, not to mention Pakistan. This is very different. They have been. They have proposed budget. But to to say that it was only Ukraine is not is not true. Just to be factual, actually, it is specifically true that there were objections raised inside uh, the OMB and the White House because the Ukraine aid had already been approved by Congress. And Mulvaney said it's at the direction of the president himself. So I think this is according to Taylor's testimony. Exactly. Yeah. And also according to reporting that has been done by The New York Times and other outlets. So right, again, Susan, th- my, my understanding, though, is that that unraveled a bit in questioning. But none of us have seen the follow on questions. You've only seen well, the opening statement. I also understand that Kurt Volker had a different take on this, the envoy to Ukraine. I've been asking for Wait, three no, no, weeks. No, there's two issues. I've been asking for three weeks to have access to that. And I, as a sitting member of Congress, can't have. Sure. So what we're all talking about here has all come through the lens of Adam Schiff. No, I'm and sorry. That's not true. That's The military aid was delivered on September 11th, I believe, having been appropriated by Congress months before with the Defense Department Department memorandum having been worked out on exactly what was going to be said, signed off on by state and the NSC, and then mysteriously held up for two or three months at the direction of the president. I don't think there's much question about that. That's not factually in dispute. Congressman, what you're referring to is the question of whether it was an illegal quid pro quo on the part of the president of the United States. So that's an issue that is still being testified under uh, depositions in the Congress. We wouldn't don't we know a definitive answer. We all what we do know factually. You will. You will. You will. will. This is the beauty of this. In two weeks. In about two weeks. Is it one week? Is it three weeks? Is it three months? What does it matter? What does it matter? matter? They need to find out the it truth and you will see the, you will see the transcripts. I think, I think we can all, let me just matters. say, I think it, it, we can all agree, we'd love to see all the testimony and we'd sure. love to see public hearings and the sooner that happens, the better. I Just because I don't think anyone disagrees on that. What were we going to say? All I would add is that you have colleagues right now in these meetings. Yeah. So I asked, why don't, why haven't you so asked them? Republican colleagues. Republican, Republican colleagues. Republican colleagues. Well, one, they can't share asked, that information. No, They're under a gag they order, number one. Let me ask you this. Let me just, let me just finish with this. Would you be okay if you were defense and you could cross-examine the prosecution's witnesses, in this case called by Schiff, but not call your own? 
Would that be okay? And could the accused have counsel present? (laughs) Because that's the case. But that was not the case under Clinton. That was not the case under Nixon. So they can only cross-examine shifts witnesses, but not not call their own, which is absolutely true. Just to be crystal clear. It's in contravention. Let's just do one at a time. It's in contravention to the only two precedents that we have, not Benghazi, (laughs) not other hearings. It's the only two precedents that we have. Impeachment Impeachment precedents. That's right. 1998, 1974. The issue here is that this is like a grand jury. No, it's not. Let her talk. Let me just finish. It's it's not true. In grand jury testimony. In grand jury testimony, the, pros- the defense attorney does not have the ability to bring their own witnesses because it is about a prosecution case and making the strongest prosecution case in which you will be able to adjudicate at the end of that, just like a gra- the House here's why that, here's why that falls apart. Here's why that no, falls apart. Grand- Schiff is acting as independent counsel, not. although he, he is, is not. not. This is this not is a grand false. jury. Okay. We have to establish new rules, which is what we did in 74 I want to give Susan the last word, and then I want to uh, turn to the Baghdadi news. Having survived the Clinton impeachment, uh, you know, I think let's just pull back for a second here. Uh, you know, the process will be worked out one way or the other. The Democrat, can, can I just finish? Can I just, just, finish? Let her, just let her talk. So sure. let's be clear that the Democrats have said that they will offer a public process that Republicans already have opportunity that they will do so. We can, you know, road test that. We can criticize them all they want if they don't deliver on that promise. What I haven't heard this week, Jake, Mm -hmm. is Republicans in any serious and sustained way talk about the evidence that's emerged so far, whether they can defend the president or not has become increasingly difficult as the president has pulled the rug out under his own staff, uh, changed uh, the facts as new evidence has emerged. Ambassador Taylor's testimony was significant by any measure. He's been smeared by the White House. You did a very eloquent statement, I think, about that today, about a man who served his country for 50 years, as you have, Congressman. Mm -hmm. And do you feel comfortable with the way that we're now attacking witnesses? I have, in good faith, formally and informally, been asking for access to all of the information. That's not answering. And all of the information that is answering. Uh, You're asking me about the substance. No, I don't think we should criticize uh, Kurt Volker, Bill Taylor, any of those folks. So so we only have about a minute left. I want to let you have an opportunity. (laughs) Let me me just ask you about the the death of al-Baghdadi, which I think we can all agree. Thank God for our special operators. Thank God they're okay. Uh, Two minor injuries, but uh, uh, Secretary Esper told me they're they're okay. They're, They're back on duty. As somebody who was critical of President Trump's uh, position on withdrawing U.S. forces uh, from northern Syria, does this, do you think, bolster your argument, work with the Kurds who provided the intelligence, uh, keep U.S. forces there, uh, or does it bolster the president's hand, given the fact that this is a, you know, undisputed Well, I'm happy with where the president is ending up, which is to keep a presence in Syria. We have to stay on offense. We have to keep our foot on their neck. It takes a network to defeat a network, and we have to do that forward. And I've been loud and clear saying that if we withdraw like we did too soon under Obama or whether we do it now, whether it's Afghanistan or Syria or other battlefields, terrorism will follow us home. All right. Congressman, thank you so much. And thank you for your service. As always, thanks for everybody for being here. Coming up, the president writes him off as human scum and the latest in a long line of never Trumpers. But those who know Bill Taylor best tell a far different story of service and sacrifice. And that's next. The deposition this past week from the top U.S. diplomat in Ukraine, Ambassador Bill Taylor, was, Republican sources tell CNN, impactful and, quote, reverberating among Republicans on the Hill. 
tailored detailed conversations with Trump administration officials, pushing an explicit quid pro quo in his view. He was told, quote, everything Ukraine wanted from the United States, including military aid, depended upon the Ukrainian president publicly announcing an investigation into Joe and Hunter Biden. The White House has been relentlessly attacking Ambassador Taylor. What you're seeing now, I believe, is a group of mostly career, politi- uh, career bureaucrats who are saying, you know what, I don't like President Trump's politics, so I'm going to participate in this witch hunt that they're, that they're undertaking on the Hill. There's no evidence for that. And the president then called Taylor a never-Trumper, and there's no evidence for that. And he said that all never-Trumpers, quote, are human scum. Human scum. Thousands of miles away. Watching this all unfold was one of Taylor's West Point classmates with whom he served in Vietnam, now retired Colonel Bob Seitz. Let's show this photo here. That's Seitz on the left in this photo from Firebase Rakistan in Vietnam in spring 1971. Bill Taylor is the one on the right of the photo. For 18 months, Seitz and Taylor jumped from helicopters and rucked through the jungle-covered mountainous terrain, enduring, Seitz told me, quote, fatigue, hunger, bad weather, dying, killing, and a lot of terrible wounds. They were rifle company commanders of the 506th Regiment of the 101st Airborne, the same regiment from the World War II book and miniseries Band of Brothers. The motto of the 506, Kurahi, meaning we stand alone. To easy company, victory, and Kurahi. Seitz told me that Bill Taylor of Alpha Company was and remains the embodiment of the United States Military Academy cadet prayer, which says in part, quote, make us to choose the harder right instead of the easier wrong and never to be content with a half truth when the whole can be won. Colonel Seitz says he's been enraged listening to President Trump and White House staffers lie and launch personal attacks on his friend Bill Taylor. Taylor even extended his tour in Vietnam an extra six months, he says. None of those attacking him ever stood up for their country the way Bill did. Taylor's service to his country continued as a diplomat, working for every administration since 1985, serving as a U.S. ambassador to Ukraine under President George W. Bush. Former general and ambassador to Afghanistan Carl Eikenberry told me, quote, Bill always volunteered for the tough posting in combat with the U.S. Army during the Vietnam War, Afghanistan, Gaza, the difficult spots in the Middle East, unquote. In Iraq, Taylor came under fire in both Baghdad and Fallujah. Earlier this year, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo asked Taylor to come out of retirement to head back to Kiev. Taylor was wary of taking the position after seeing how poorly the previous ambassador had been treated by the Trump administration. But his mentor had told him, quote, if your country asks you to do something, you do it. Sitting on Colonel Seitz's kitchen table right now is Wednesday's New York Times. Seitz looked at the cover photo with tears in his eyes that showed his battle buddy Taylor walking into Congress to choose the harder right over the easier wrong, to not be content with a half-truth when the whole can be won. He's standing alone, Seitz told me, the way that Currahees have stood alone for our country. But all of us other Currahees are standing with him, Seitz said. So... President Trump can suggest that Bill Taylor is human scum and the folks in the White House can attempt to smear him. But to his friends, the president is not just attacking Bill Taylor. He's attacking the values that Taylor personifies. Duty, honor, country. General Eikenberry told me Taylor's, quote, integrity and courage 
are the true marks of patriotism, loyal to an oath of office and never to be corrupted or intimidated by those seeking personal gain at our nation's expense, unquote. You can ask yourself of the behavior and values you have seen displayed during this impeachment inquiry. Whose make you proud to be an American and whose might make you ashamed? Curry. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for much more of CNN's breaking news coverage on the death of the leader of ISIS during a U.S. raid in Syria. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.